following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. July morning, I can say it is a good morning because any morning where we can taste and see that the Lord is good is a good morning. Now you're probably familiar with that little phrase from uh, Psalm 34 verse 8 and funnily enough as I was typing that verse out this week I hit the wrong letter and when I looked up what it actually written was taste and see that the Lord is food. Well I thought there's actually nothing wrong with that after all Jesus did say I am the bread of life Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But taste and see that the Lord is good is not the whole verse. The rest of that verse goes on to say, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now the author of that psalm was David, and he could have written, blessed is the man who takes refuge with him, but he wrote in him. Even as he wrote those words, inspired by God's Spirit, David himself could not have understood the extent of just how blessed God desired man to be, nor the lengths to which he was going to go to make a way for us to take refuge in him. How blessed are we in Christ? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Now, this morning, we're going to talk again about what that means to be in Christ. And I'm excited about that because I believe that when such truths are spoken out in this earthly realm, the Holy Spirit is always present to open our eyes to the reality of how loved and how blessed we are in Christ. To proclaim the gospel as the good news of what God has done for us in Christ is to say to people, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So let's taste the goodness of God this morning by talking again about this new life in God that our Father in heaven has provided for us through Christ. What I want to show you this morning is that this new life in Christ is an entirely new life. It's not an improvement, an addition, or an alteration to our old lives. We are born again complete in Him. There is nothing of our old lives that we bring to this new life except our old thinking. And so there remains now nothing for us to do in order to live in the fullness of this new life, except to be renewed in our minds, our thinking. Listen to how the Apostle Paul declares that to the Ephesians, recorded in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. In reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now notice the order there. Before we can put on, live in, and live out this new life, what Paul calls this new self, our minds need to be renewed. Our thinking needs to change. And a foundational aspect of that change of thinking is the laying aside of the old self. How can you see the beginning of a new life if you never saw the end of the old one? How clearly you see what former life you have been cut off from 
determines how clearly you can live in your new life. And this morning, I'm going to describe that cutting off from our former lives in the way the New Testament describes it, as a circumcision. Circumcision is literally the cutting away of flesh, and it was given under the Old Covenant as a sign of how God saw His chosen people, as set aside for Him, as His very own. Listen to what Luke 2.21 says about the circumcision of Jesus as a child. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now this verse says two things about the naming of Jesus. It says that his name was given before he was even conceived, but it also says that he wasn't called that name until the day of his circumcision, which was normally the eighth day. In Christ, we too have a name given to us before we were conceived. And in previous weeks, we have looked at how throughout the scriptures, when God announced his calling on the lives of people like Abraham or Moses or Gideon, Jeremiah or Mary, he spoke to them by a name, a calling they had never heard before. We also saw how when a disciple called Ananias in Damascus was carried along by the Holy Spirit and spoke out over Saul of Tarsus, his eternal calling, his heavenly name, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Now that's why I love to preach of this calling of God, this life in Christ that transcends our earthly lives. Because I believe that under the sound of this eternal, glorious, heavenly proclamation of the Father's will for you and I, something like scales can fall from our eyes, especially the eyes of the church, whom the whole of creation is waiting to rise up, to grow up into their sonship in Christ. But just as Jesus only started to live from that name at his circumcision, so we too can only start to live from our new name following a circumcision, a cutting off of the flesh. And I want to begin by declaring to you that in Christ's death and resurrection, there was such a cutting away of the old and the beginning of a new life. But here's the thing. As we heard Paul declare to the Ephesians, you and I can only live in the reality of that new life to this new name hidden with Christ and God to the extent that our minds are renewed to this new reality. Let me give you an example. On the day I married Nicola, a new creation was born. Two lives became one, and the man I used to be, the life I used to live, the life called single, came to an end. It came to an end in the most public of ways, before all my family and friends, so that no one was left in any doubt that the old single Phelan was no more. But despite so many witnesses being present to the death of my old life and the birth of a new one, for me to live out the reality of this new life, to live as this new creation, there really was only one person that day who needed to be convinced in their minds that I now had such a new life. Me. For as a man thinks, so he is. Likewise, in spiritual terms, for me to live as a new creation, in the words of Romans 7:4, to live as one married to Christ, that's how I now have to think of myself, as now dead to my old single life, my old separate life, and alive to union with Christ. Only this time, I'm not the groom, but the bride of Christ. Natural marriage has always pointed towards the reality of Christ and his church, so it's not surprising that in earthly marriage, the bride takes on a new name, the name of the groom. My point is that both in the natural and in the spiritual realm, 
A marriage cannot be all that it was meant to be, all that it can be, if either of the two parties involved can't make up their mind if they're single or married. Now, we'll come back to this picture again later because I want to show you this morning how important it is that there is a cutting away of the old life, that there is clear blue water between the old life and the new life, never a mixing of the two. If we are truly to live in the fullness of our new name, our new life, hidden with Christ and God, then we must understand this. What we are going to see this morning is that just as Jesus was named at his circumcision, so too for us, the cutting off of the flesh, that old life, and the living from your eternal name, your new life in Christ, always go together. Let me say that a different way. How can you see the beginning of a new life if you never saw the end of the old one? How clearly you see what former life you've been cut off from determines how clearly you can live in your new life. This is why I love Colossians 3 verse 3, where the Apostle Paul, while exhorting the church to see further, see higher than the earthly natural realm, suddenly he makes a profound statement, a statement that has the power to cause something like scales to fall from our eyes. He says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That verse in the King James reads, for ye are dead. You may have noticed that over the last four months of this lockdown, each week at some point, I have come back to this verse. I feel it so strongly in my spirit that at this moment in history, this verse must go out like a clarion call, a trumpet sounding to awake the church that multitudes of believers would experience something like scales falling from our eyes that enables us to see Christ crucified as the death, the cutting off of our old life. For it is only in seeing his death as our death that we can have our eyes opened to see his life as our life. Now listen again to this verse in Colossians 3 and what immediately follows it. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Five little words. Christ, who is our life. What a profound revelation of the union of the believer with Christ. But most of us in the church have never clearly seen our new lives in that way because we've never clearly seen the death of our old lives. How can you see the beginning of a new life if you've never seen the end of the old one? How clearly you see what former life you've been cut off from determines how clearly you can live in your new life. Christ's death for us was a circumcision, a cutting off point. Listen to how the Apostle Paul declared this to the Colossians. His words are recorded in Colossians 2, 11 and 12. Speaking of Christ, he says, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now listen to that verse from the King James Version. You were circumcised by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Colossians 3.3 puts it even plainer. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. What do you think would be the simplest and most powerful way to communicate to a new believer that in Christ their old self the old man died and a new self, a new man in union with Christ was born. Well, 
What do we normally do with somebody who has died? The decent thing to do is always to bury the body. This is why the first thing Jesus instructs us to do with new believers is to hold a funeral for them. Water baptism is the public burial of the old man and resurrection of the new. What is the simplest and yet most powerful way to communicate to people that the life of a Christian is an entirely new life? Hold a funeral service for everyone who wants to now live in Christ. In the natural, is that not the only decent thing to do with a body, not to leave it hanging around? Not least because, as Martha pointed out to Jesus, dead men stink. Do you know that in spiritual terms, dead religion, what the New Testament calls the works of the flesh, stinks to high heaven? In the same way that if a man tries to bring his old single life into his married life, to his wife, such behavior is going to stink to high heaven. There is to be no self-effort, no self-righteousness in the new creation, the body of Christ, the church. That's because there is no self-life, no separation life in the new creation. For those who are joined to the Lord are one spirit with him. Why hold such a public funeral for our old man? Why did Jesus leave his disciples with this instruction to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? I think if you were to ask many Christians, why did you get baptized? They may simply answer, because Jesus said so, and that's good enough for me. In other words, many of us saw baptism as something we were doing for him. But when the good father asks us to do something, it's not because it's good for him, but because it's good for us. The Lord didn't ask us to be baptized for his sake, but for ours. For he knew the importance of us being rooted and established in our death in him, in order to be rooted and established in our life in him. For he knows, how can you see the beginning of a new life if you never saw the end of the old one? He knows how clearly you see what former life you've been cut off from determines how clearly you can live in your new life. He knows that in a world that will only see us and speak to us according to the flesh, the old man, there needs to be a renewal of our thinking, what the New Testament calls a metanoia, which is translated as repentance. But this repentance is not some work of the flesh to try and become something we're not. It is a work of the Spirit to remove the scales from our eyes that we may see now who we are in Christ, a totally new creation. That's worth saying again. Repentance is not some work of the flesh to try and become something we're not. It is a work of the Spirit to remove the scales from our eyes that we may see who we now are in Christ, a totally new creation. This true repentance must happen if we're to begin to think from our new life of union with Christ and God rather than our old lives of separation from God. Which is why, as we saw last week, the Apostle Paul exhorted the Ephesians to put off the old man and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. To be created according to God is to be created in his likeness. And in him, there is no separation. God has never had a self-life, a separated life. Jesus never thought of himself as alone or living his life by himself. In his own words, to see him was to see the Father. That was how joined his life was with the Father's. And he said that as a man. This is what the Holy Spirit enables us to see. Our new life joined life 
with Christ in God. For we must see this life in order to walk in this life. This morning we're talking about this new creation, this new man in Christ. And I've been emphasizing the importance of seeing that this new life is not some sort of improvement on the old life. God's solution to our old, separate from him life was not to improve it. The old man doesn't need an education. He needs a funeral. The Lord didn't say, go and make disciples of all nations, educating them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Christ didn't go to the cross so that your old man would behave better. He didn't go to the cross to get a student he could be in dialogue with. He went to get a bride he could be in union with. This union, this new life we have in him, is not something we make through better behavior. It is a life we're born into by the Spirit. And we're born again into this life in Christ, already made, already complete, already created in true righteousness and holiness. That's why anyone who's been born again of God's Spirit, born from above, anyone in Christ, can now be rightly called the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've been speaking this morning about just how new the new creation, our lives in Christ, are. And this image of our lives in Christ as a temple is very helpful because there is now something I want to show you about the way the physical temple was built that can really help us grasp that it's not our job to make our lives new, but rather to humbly accept the newness that God has brought us to in Christ. The Old Testament is full of types and shadows pointing toward the coming reality of this new creation. And the tent of meeting in the desert and later the physical temple in Jerusalem both pointed toward this new reality, even in their structure of being divided into three parts. The inner holy of holies represented the spirits of believers, which is now the dwelling place of God's own spirit. We can learn a lot about God's eternal plans for his new creation, the church, as the dwelling place of his spirit from the pattern he gave for the physical temple, both how it was to be built and function. You know, the original instructions for the priests that were to minister at the tent of meeting included the instruction that they were not to wear material that caused them to sweat. Later in the building of Solomon's temple, there is clear instruction we see recorded in 1 Kings 6 verse 7 that all the stone used in the building of the temple had to be pre-cut to exact specifications, finished as it were, at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Isn't this just amazing? In other words, when it comes to the building of the temple, which was representative of the body of Christ, the dwelling place of God and man, there was never to be the sight or sound of man's hand on that work. These massive blocks of stone were to arrive from the quarry complete and ready. They only had to be positioned. It was the Apostle Peter who described believers in 1 Peter 2.5 as living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Now, just as those blocks of stone were finished in the quarry before arriving at the temple site, the term used, in fact, is dressed in the quarry, so too we are born again. We arrive into this new life already dressed in the life of God, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We were born again, complete, finished, dressed in the life of God. In the words of Paul to the Colossians, in Christ you have been made complete. Contrary to what you may have heard in church all your life, God is not looking to man to finish what he began. 
In Christ, we were born again in true righteousness and holiness according to God. Now, this may come as a shock to you, but you and I cannot improve on our righteousness, our holiness in Christ. And to attempt to do so in spiritual terms is akin to someone using a hammer or a chisel or an iron tool in the temple. Imagine how the priests would have looked up in horror if they had heard the sound of someone hammering stone in the temple. They would have heard that as a complete violation of God's plan and purposes. Now stop and ask yourself, what do you think it sounds like to God's Spirit to hear all the teaching going on in the church on how to become holier for God? What does it sound like or smell like to Him to hear believers working themselves up into a sweat about their latest endeavor to become holy enough to become the temple of God, a fitting place for Him to send His Spirit? Would the Lord not still say to this generation what He said to the Galatians through Paul? Oh, foolish church! Who has bewitched you? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Paul wrote to the Galatians that the life he lived now, this new creation life, he lived by the faith of the Son of God. We are born again so complete that we do not even have to go looking for our own faith. For the faith that saves us, that makes us whole, that allows us to live as who he made us to be, in the words of Paul to the Ephesians, is not of ourselves, but is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you boast in your faith or do you understand your faith to be the gift of God's Spirit? This faith that comes from God, is it faith in man's work or faith in God's work? Can you see that to try and set about to make yourself holier than you already are in Christ is not faith in Christ's finished work, faith in how he dressed the stone, but rather it is unbelief in Christ's finished work, unbelief in the new man, the new creation, the new temple created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Do you know what happens when unbelief arises in the church, unbelief in the finished nature of Christ's work, that we are complete in Him, in true righteousness and holiness? The grace of God is set aside, and the church goes back to seeking a righteousness that comes by the law, a righteousness that comes by self-effort. How can we tell what level of self-righteousness the church in each generation is operating in? We only have to look for the level of division in the church, for the root of men seeking to establish their own righteousness is pride, an independent spirit, and such an independent spirit always leads to division. Paul wrote to the Galatians, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now listen to that whole passage from the King James translators. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. This verse is also translated as, 
I do not frustrate the grace of God, or I do not nullify the grace of God. Can you see that the preaching in the church, that we in our own strength can become holier to our Father than Christ has already made us to be, only ever brings us back to the works of the flesh, the old man separated from God by his sins, that man that we buried. Such teaching only nullifies the grace of God. It may have become traditional in the church to talk to Christians as if they still had a self-life when speaking of holiness, but just look at the effect of it. Multitudes of believers spending their lives self-absorbed, self-conscious, and self-righteous. I think to such traditional teaching, Jesus would still say today what he said to the Pharisees, recorded in Mark 7:13. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Such teaching resurrects in our minds that old man, the very one that Paul told the Ephesians to put off and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In Christ, you are an entirely new creation, resurrected into a new life. You are not the old man marked to with a few improvements. That old man, separated from God, could do nothing. For as Jesus declared, apart from me, you can do nothing. All that old man can do in the church today is cause a stink to high heaven. And all the so-called holiness preaching in the church today is doing is causing a sound to rise to the heavenlies. The sound of hammers, chisels, and iron tools being used on the new creation. That ban on all man-made tools was a complete prohibition on any addition, alteration, or finishing of any of the stones that went to make up the temple. The stones for the temple arrive as the finished article. All that remains is for them to take up their positions together. That is the purpose of preaching to believers in the church, not to improve their dressing, their holiness. That was done at the quarry. That was done by he who chose the stone in the first place before the earth was even formed. Listen to that from Isaiah 51 verse one. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. In Christ, you were chosen from before the foundation of the world. And the one who always had a plan for your life from all eternity also planned that he would be the one who not only chose you, but also finished you, dressed you, completed you in his holiness. Listen to how Paul speaks of how our destiny in Christ was pre-cut and that bringing it to completion is entirely God's work. Here is his description of God's eternal plan for us recorded in Romans 8.30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. He predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. He, 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 he. That is God's response to man's attempt to make himself holy by what he does. Stones that make up the temple of God's spirit, both under the old covenant and the new, arrive as the finished article. To fulfill their role, their destiny, they only have to be positioned properly. I believe the Lord would say to his church today, as we face a world that only sees our old life, 
what he said to King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 as he faced what looked like the whole world against him. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, for the Lord will be with you. Preaching to believers is for the purpose of positioning the renewing of our minds, that we take up our God-ordained positions together with Him, hidden with Christ in God. What the New Covenant declares to us is that when Christ rose from the dead, we rose in Him, an entirely new creation, a new species of man, whose origin is no longer in the first Adam, but now in the last Adam, a man no longer separated from God, who can live and walk and talk as one no longer separated from God. If we be renewed in the spirit of our minds, our thinking, to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. For uh, how can you see the beginning of a new life if you never saw the end of the old one? How clearly you see what former life you've been cut off from determines how clearly you can live in your new life. The gospel of God's grace declares that this new life comes entirely as a gift it is a life that you are birthed into by God's Spirit. It is not a life you can gradually grow into. You can grow up in it, but not grow into it. There came a moment when I married Nicola that an entirely new life began for me, married life, where two lives have become one. From that moment, as we walked back down the aisle, we were married. Marriage was not a life I could grow into. Yes, it was a life I could grow up in, and that growing up in is a beautiful journey, but marriage is not for growing into. What would Nicola have thought if she found me living as a married man most of the week, but on weekends still living as a single man? And my explanation was, well, I'm still growing into this marriage. By the grace of God, through the Spirit and the Word, men and women are birthed into Christ, into an entirely new life. We have quoted Paul's declaration of this truth to the Corinthians many times in recent months because it is so foundational. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. In the same way that my marriage could never be all that it was meant to be, all it could be, if I didn't grasp the fundamental truth of the end of my single life, so too many of us as believers have not enjoyed the fullness of all that our life in Christ can be because we have never been rooted and established in the death of our old life. There can be no resurrection without a death. Old covenant thinking and teaching in the church keeps offering us things to do in order to become. The gospel of Christ's finished work just offers us the truth. In Him we already are a totally new creation. How hard it is to put on the new man, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness of the truth, when the church keeps handing us the old man to put on. And for those of you who may be thinking, but what then is left for us to do, Phelan, in order to do the works God requires? I leave you with the answer Jesus gave to that very question, recorded in John 6:29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I pray this morning that through these words, you will taste and see that the Lord is good and know the blessing 
of all those who take refuge in him. God bless you.